Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Hello and welcome to what is the final episode in the Bearded Tits podcast in its current form. I think I've said that about three or four times now, but this is actually the final episode. I should just clarify that we will be back at some point later in the year. I'm going to have a few months off, recharge my batteries, think of some new ideas. I've got some really interesting ideas. Um, two projects I'm working on with the podcast, but it'll be later on. One of them's similar to this, one of them's completely different. And also, some of the past guests are going to be guest hosting the podcast. I don't want to put a label on it like every month or every two weeks, but every now and again, I'll drop an episode and it'll be a past guest interviewing somebody else and just to be a little bit different. But for the meantime, we've got today's guest, which is the wonderful Mike Dilger. I've known Mike for years. We've bumped into each other working in the same industry on and off for a while now, and I've managed to pin him down. I think this has taken about uh, 10 months to get him to agree to do this, but we had a good old waffle about his career, how he started out in presenting, about his wildlife tours, and his book, his upcoming book, which is 1,000 Shades of Green, which isn't out till 2023, but we get a good chance to talk about plants, because I know woefully little about plants, and Mike was able to indulge me in some interesting facts about them. So, here's our chat. So, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Jack. Nice to see you. Look at that lovely beard you have. That's a... That's a that's you a know, work of art. You know what? I'm going to share with you a little. So we were, we're having a little bit of a, a chat before we started. So I had a very meaty beard uh, up until about three weeks ago. It was a real kind of a, accomplishment. And the one show, I'll just tell you about the squid shoot. I filmed a piece for them last year, but my beard was really short. And they said, well, if we're going to if we're going to do the pickup shoots, um, you need to shave your beard. And I went, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd Continuity rather... Continuity beard. I and I was like, well, I'd rather not because I've put a lot of work into this hefty badger on my face. And they said, well, it's either that or we have to reshoot everything. I went, oh, all right then. So I shaved my beard reluctantly and then they cancelled the shoot. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. So I had to it's kind a of... Lockdown. Is it a lockdown beard then? No, because I shaved it when I got married, which was a year ago. So it was a year's worth of growth. So I got married in November last year and I didn't, I hadn't shaved since then so it was nearly a year's worth of growth and then that's uh, really impressive because i can never get through that itchy stubble period i've perfectly uh, got a five o'clock shadow okay when i get to that really really itchy stage i cannot bear it and people say if you want a beard you just got to work through that itchy stage and then it's fine but i can never get through the itchy period yeah i mean it's pure laziness it's not because i'm a hipster or what it's just because I, I don't like to shave so that's the only reason i've got a big it does come in handy when you're out in the in the wild as well keeps the wind off you and whatever so there's a practical a practical use to beards definitely and also as well if i mean there's a little, little bit of food get caught there if you get hungry you can just snake your tongue out and just oh yeah there's, off the crumbs. There's, al- there's always something in there you know you might find a bit of victoria's sponge or a bit of chicken it's great it's a it's a whole meal in there <laughs> well <laughs> Anyway, we'll not talk about some wildlife. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about some wildlife. So, where did your career start in in wildlife presenting then? Uh, in wildlife presenting. In presenting, um, yeah. Let's let's go okay. straight for that. Right. I thought you were going to ask where did my career in wildlife start when I was no. about six or seven. <laughs> um, I was working Jack in Ecuador. I'd spent about I got a degree in biology at Nottingham. I've got a degree in ecology at Bangor. 
after my degree uh, in Bangor, I'm trying to remember now, after my degree in Bangor, I spent basically five years in the tropics working as a biologist, which is an amazing experience. So I spent a year, uh, six months in Ecuador, a year and a half in Vietnam, a year and a half in Tanzania. So I'd basically done New World, Africa, Southeast Asia. And then I came back and um, thought, well, I'd love that. I want one more trip aboard. Where should I go? And I went back to Ecuador and I was working as a resident biologist in the cloud forest of Ecuador. And um, oh, I loved it there. It was amazing. So people don't people think of South America, they think of the Amazon. And of course, the reason the Amazon there is because of this huge, big mountain chain called the Andes. Uh, that runs like a backbone along along the whole of the, the west coast, really, of South America. And um, I was working in these forests at altitude, forests on slopes. So the Andes is like a big letter M, if you will. So you've got the Pacific side, and then you go up the, uh, you've got the um, cloud forest side. Then you go into the Inter-Andean Corridor, where Quito is. Then you go up the eastern side into the Oriente. So you've got the Occidente on one side and the Oriente on the other, and then three and a half thousand miles of Amazon rainforest. So I was working halfway up the cloud forest slopes on the western side, on the Occidente side, at about 1,200 metres to 2,000 metres. And that's the world epicentre for orchids, bromeliads, hummingbirds, tanagers, things like that. And loved it, frankly, going birding all the time and working as a resident biologist at a place called Maki Pacuna which was sponsored by a British charity called Rainforest Concern. And I was doing my research work on birds. I was teaching the guides English uh, so they could help, um, help tour, uh, tour lead as well and um, running research projects for scientists who were coming there. And Channel 5, back in the day, were making a series of 10-minute films called Eco Warriors all about British people in the back of beyond doing cool stuff in relation to wildlife. So they got a hold of me. This is, I think, more, what was this, 94, 95? Uh, they got a hold of me and said, um, could we come out and make a 10-minute programme about you and your work in a cloud forest in Ecuador? And I said, sure. And I'd never done television before at all. So this crew came out, a chap called, um, chap called uh, Rob Sullivan, who's the director, and a cameraman. I've never really kind of met a cameraman before, a kind of cool guy who puts a camera on his shoulder and wafts yeah. on a, a, weird a glorious light. They are <laughs> a weird bunch. They're a gnarly bunch. And then the, the, the funny thing about a cameraman and sound recorders, they're called husband and wife, really. The husband, husband's the cameraman and the wife is the sound recorders. I don't quite know why that is. I don't think it's pejorative. So the sound recorders is attached by a long umbilical cord uh, and, and he had his boom pole and, and a microphone on the top with a big fluffy surround. And he would say things like, oh, glorious sound. Uh, yeah, just recording wild track and clear for sound. And um, we spent a couple of days wandering around the reserve, filming all the wildlife, some of the hummingbirds. We managed to film a tamandua, which is a small anteater, and um, the, uh, lots of birds. And the time came to, to film me. And he said, right, Mike, we're going to interview you now. So there I was in, in the cloud forest. And he said, um, it's obvious you're into your birds. I'm like, yeah, I like my birds. And he said, um, <laughs> can, you do, um, can you talk about some of the birds uh, in the cloud forest here in Ecuador? I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. He said, can you, can you maybe do an impersonation of one or two? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. And he said, all right, okay, let's, let's, uh, uh, when I say action, then can you, can you just go for it? He said, uh, Cliff sounds, uh, turn over the camera. 
um, okay, action. And he said, I said, right, there's a bird called the Andean cock of the rock here at the cloud forest. It's a lecking bird. So dawn and dusk is when it displays. The males are amazing. They're bright fuchsia pink all over with a huge, big orange crest. They've got white eyes, black and silver wings and yellow legs and big white eyes. That's the males. The females are dull, boring and dowdy. But as we all know, the females totally rule the roost. So every day, dawn and dusk, they'll go to an ancestral lecking tree to display. So there's 10 or 15 males, all got their various perches. And um, the, males, um, the males start flapping their black and silver wings. And they're going, And then a female turns up and their crests go up and they're all displaying, going, look at me, look at me. And the female's just watching them and she just goes, whatever, and flies away. And all the males are a bit downbeat and downcast. Um, as and you would, yeah. <laughs> as you would be, of course, not having kind of got your ornithological end away. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden another female turns up and they go for it again. So I did this impersonation and the director, Rob, was uh, right anymore. And I said, oh, yeah, there's a fantastic bird called the Toucan Barbit. It's um, it's uh, not unlike the cock of the rock, the male and female look identical, but it's like it's been designed by the great evolutionary painter himself. He's got his berry on, he's got a palette of paints and he's got a, a broad outline of a, of a bird and he mixes it up and he black cap and a silver bill with a black tip and then he washes his brush out in turps and he's got a beautiful ruby red throat going to an orange upper breast, going to a lemon belly. It's got a blue rump olive green wings and a slate gray tail. It is a bobby dazzler. And so the birds do an antiphonal duet. So it's ever so sweet. They stand next to each other on the branch and the male looks at the female and the female looks at the male. And the male goes, ah, then the female goes, ah. And as they make the noise, they jump up and down. So they start off slowly. They go, ah, ah, ah. It's like an ambulance in the rainforest, Jack. And then all of a sudden they disappear and then go and make some eggs. So I did an impersonation of these two birds, and the guy said, Have you thought about a career in telly? And that's where it all began. Well, yeah, I came back to I came back to the UK and um got a few jobs. One hilariously was a was as a life model. Um, so I thought, well, I'm a nat- naturalist. I might as well be a naturist. Yeah, it's not far so apart. I, well, I, I just I had to raise some money because, I mean, we all know conservation, your rewards will be in heaven, but you don't earn very much money. No. So I um, I came back, um, took my clothes off for a living for a while and I raised some money and then eventually moved down uh, to, to, to uh, Bristol. An old friend of mine from my first degree, Nottingham, is, um, is, a, serious, is, a, is a producer. He's, he was the series producer, Mark Flowers, up until very oh, recently. Yeah, I know Mark. Of, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He likes his, likes his fish as well. He's very keen on fish. He's got yeah. amazing tanks. I'm just, I'm just very envious of your tank behind. <laughs> uh, Mark's got about four or five tanks. And me and Mark have known each other since the 80s. Um, so I moved into Mark's spare room and um, wheedled my way into television. And I, bizarrely, on that one pitch tape, I got work very quickly as a presenter on Channel 5. So I did a couple of one hours for Channel 5 and a series. And then Channel 5 said, thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. Don't call us. We'll call you. (laughs) 
Oh, we've all been there, Jack, haven't we? Mm, Our first yeah. brutal lessons in television. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a job as Bill Oddie's researcher, and I worked as um, Bill's researcher for about a year and a half on the very early incarnation of Springwatch, which is called Wild in Your Garden, and also on Bill Oddie Goes Wild. And then the one show came my way, and I had a screen test, and I got the job, and 450 films, and 15 years down the line, I'm still making it happen, <laughs> just about. <laughs> You mentioned Nottingham then. Have you got any old Nottingham haunts in terms of nature reserves? I don't. I don't mean the bars that you went to. I mean more. Well, I got. Um, I got. A, I got a two-two in my chosen subject. But I got a first, a double first in birding and birding. So okay. basically, when I, was, when I was a kid, Jack, I was, uh, unfortunately, it's a podcast, so you can't actually see the book I'm looking at. But I'm showing Jack my original first ever bird watching book. Ah, okay. It's Bruce Campbell's Guide to Birds in Colour. Uh, it's got 256 different beautiful portraits from Carl Arga Tingerland. And I'm holding up to Jack the, um, the, the my signature, Edge 9. So this is my first <laughs> bird watching book. It's got beautiful pictures. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I still uh, have enormous attraction to that book. So when I first started uh, bird watching, I thought I was the only kid in the world interested. It was before internet and before social media, before you can find your tribe online. And... Um, I went to university and I suddenly found loads of other people who are into birds. And basically I just went twitching the whole time. So I bunked off loads of lectures and I was either birding um, by day, bunking off lectures, I was birding in nightclubs. <laughs> I, just, uh, I see what you did there, Mike. I see what you did there. Oh yeah, I was just, basically I was just, I spent certainly the first year either twitching or going to nightclubs. Yeah, and then uh, half of the second two years, either bird watching or going to nightclubs. But Attenborough, I love. I know Attenborough very, very well, uh, and I've been up to the Welbeck Dukeries to look for honey buzz on a number of occasions. So I know a lot of the sites. Sherwood Forest, I know pretty well. I'm very good friends with Indy Kimmel, actually. I'm sure who you know, uh, Indy Kimmel Green, who's on. Who's oh yes, yeah, yeah, Indy, the young. Yeah, he's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he he, uh, he showed me some lesser spotted woodpeckers a couple of years ago. Great kid. Yeah, really enthusiastic. Fantastic. Yeah, really good. He's really good birder. Oh, yeah, he yeah. is. I know his mum and dad very well. His mum is a shepherdess for the Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust, and I met him via his mum, having interviewed him, uh, his mum, all about how they use uh, sheep to to graze uh, some of the Sherwood Forest lands there. Uh, you know, for the for the vegetation really and to kind of keep the bracken down and for the kind of floral diversity and so um so i know Sherwood forest very well as well i mean it's an incredibly rich county i remember going i remember going um doing 24-hour bird watches in nottinghamshire and we had nightingale back in the day and it's nightingale still in nottinghamshire oh not that i'm aware i'm not really in with the the birdie wordy crowd in knots but i suspect you're with that... a fishy wishy lot aren't yeah you? and it's just me <laughs> it's just me um and uh I, as far as I'm aware, we don't have nightingales, or if it is, it's a very well kept secret. But I, 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 to be honest, I mean they're pretty. Because no, I was going to say, I was almost going to say you did a book. Did you do a book on nightingales? Is that right? Yes, I did. Nightingales did, okay. in November. I nearly thought. I, I thought. Oh God, I'm going to Stephen Moss, uh, Mike. I'm going to mix no, up a book worry. with. <laughs> I don't want. My wife actually has just gone out and is having having um, a cup of tea with his wife. Oh really. Christine has just left about 15 minutes ago, which is why I was late um, to click on the Zoom contact to you and you had to email me again. Uh, Dilja, where are you? I get um, a little, a little but yeah, I'm, I'm very good friends with Stephen. Yeah. So he lives very close actually by, he's the other side of the Mendips on the Sunset Levels. No, and he's prolific. Mm. He's a prolific author. He no, I did a book on called Lighting Us in November, which is following 12 British birds throughout the year. Some, win some winter visitors, some summer visitors, 
some year-round residence. So yeah, I, I, I know quite a lot about the Nightingale because I did a huge amount of research work and uh, finding out all about where they go to in, in West Africa. What an amazing bird. Isn't it? Uh, I'm going off on a tangent now with this, but isn't it um, like there's a motorway or something? Because uh, I remember Gary Moore, uh, the sound guy, he did a film for, I think it was one of the watches, but there's a motorway somewhere down south that's meant to be good for them. I don't know if that came across your lap at all or... Oh, motorway in the UK? Yeah, I think so. I'm sure there's oh, like a... Like, I what? think there's a service station and uh, for some reason that's good for nightingales. That was one of the places that sprung in my head. But um, I always think of, well, kind of Kent, Sussex, yeah, okay. Suffolk and Norfolk is the epicentres, but they yeah. do come to Gloucestershire. Okay. So I, um, I go and see them in Gloucestershire. Hilariously, Jack, there's a really famous site called Hynham Woods, which is um, managed by the RSPB, right on the edge of the Forest of Dean. It's the most westerly area you can hear them. But also as well, it became, it, it, it was in various papers because it, the car park is a dogging site. Oh yes, I know it well. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, it well. well. There you go. And also <laughs> as well, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've never gone dogging and I have, I'm very happily married. Okay. But, we all know, well, most of us know that dogging goes happens at dawn and dusk. And when do nightingales sing at dawn and dusk? Yeah. So basically, the, the RSPB had to close the car park and <laughs> we had to park there miles away and I had to walk my son down this incredibly busy road um, and, and uh, to get into the. It was really dangerous. I was thinking they're flipping doggers, going to kill my son. You but need anyway, like yeah, a, you need a, a water pistol with some cold water or something and just. Get out of there. Calm I'm down. Each to their own. I'm, I'm, a very, yeah. I'm a very libertarian type guy, but I'm not really <laughs> impinge on my bird watching. No, no, no. Crack on, but don't ruin my birding. That's the main uh, the main thing. So so a lot of people will obviously know you from from the one show. How much input do you get into the the films that they do? Is it a case that they go, Mike, you're doing this today? Or is there a kind of back and forth where you're like, oh, I thought about this. What do you think? Um, both really. They come okay. to me going, we'd like you to do a film on slugs in Bristol, which I'm delighted to do, yeah. or minky whales in, in West Scotland, which I'm equally delighted to do. <laughs> I generally don't care what, what they give me because there's always something interesting to find. I mean, you know, Jack, wildlife, the more you know, the more you realise you there's lots more to know. Um, and I mean, I, I love to learn about slugs in Bristol and I love to learn about minky whales off West Coast of Scotland. Um, but also as well, I put forward a lot of ideas. Uh, I basically filmed for the one show last Saturday. I'm giving your podcast an exclusive. I interviewed His Royal Highness Prince Charles. Wow. And um, <laughs> it, was, it was my idea, my contact. I'd met him at a plant life anniversary and I've met him a couple of times before. And um, I pinged off an email to, I managed to get his press secretary's email, get in there. And I pinged an email saying, uh, would Prince Charles like to go flower spotting with me? Because I'm a bit bored with birds. I quite like them, but I'm much, much keener on plants. Yeah, we'll um, come on to that in a bit as well. We will come on to yeah, that. I, I, I know you're very kindly going to give my book a plug, which is lovely of you. Um, so I'm writing a book about, about wildflowers and I want to try and get Prince Charles in it. And he was too busy. Uh, and his father, unfortunately, passed away at, at, at that time. Um, so they said, we would love to do something with you. Uh, and he said, Prince Charles is really keen on country crafts and, and hedgerows and, and hedge lane. And so they contacted me out of the blue a few weeks ago when I was up in Scotland and said, would you like to come and do this gig with Prince Charles? And I interviewed him last Saturday and it was brilliant. <laughs> he's, he's, he's really charming. And also as well, I mean, he's, he's a past master. At, at, he's like me and you, he could talk all day long about anything and everything. But 
he was really on a passionate subject. So in that respect, we were, um, he was, I was pushing an open door oh, and I was given a 10 minute slot with him because he is a very, very busy bloke. Um, but he loved it. I mean, like 20 minutes later, we're still going on. And the oh, press secretary was kind of getting slightly antsy. But Prince Charles was fine, so I was fine. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. So I'm still doing the one show. So I pitched lots of one show ideas. For example, all manner of things. I mean, I, I pitched an idea a few years ago about seeing Britain's Last Butterfly, uh, which is the Chequered Skipper. Okay. So okay. Yes. So I went to West Scotland and filmed it. It was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, maybe out of the 450, I've maybe got commissioned... I don't know, maybe 80, 90, something like that. But I kind of know people who know people. So I'm always in a position to, to, to kind of pitch ideas because someone comes to me with an idea. And also as well, I get involved in the development and ideas with the production companies. So in that respect, it's, um, I have quite a lot of input. But also, you know, they come to me and say, would you do this? Yeah. I, say, I, always say yes. I guess that's quite nice that you, you can bring stuff to them but also they'll just say we think mike's best for this let's let's crack on and and do that yeah. so that's pretty pretty good and as well as the the presenting on our tv screens you also do tours so are you only doing uk tours or are you doing anything abroad as well what, what kind of tours do you mean sorry um well so like uh, as in like you'll you'll take people out bird watching won't you with a company oh, sorry, or something wildlife tours wildlife yeah, tours yeah yeah, yeah yeah sorry jack I, my bad um <laughs> i didn't mean uh, like yeah, a tour I didn't mean like a red bus in London, like you're showing them all the sight. Like, and over there's Big Ben, like you, you're wearing a beef eaters outfit or something. No, I didn't mean that. Well, I, I had images of uh, I had images of me filling the O2. I oh. couldn't, I couldn't I barely fill my own bedroom these days. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I do lots of wildlife tour eating. I mean, probably back in five or six years ago, wildlife presenting was kind of my main gig. I did a few talks and I did, um, I did quite a bit of writing. But I mean, there's not as much wildlife presenting work around, and I, I've got no truck with that. I mean, it's it's, it's a crowded marketplace. Uh, certainly during COVID, there wasn't much telework at all. So a lot of presenters like myself, Nick Baker, Yolo Williams, Chris Packham, and we all know each other. We're all we all going really well actually. I see Yolo and Nick a lot up in Scotland, and we get on great. I mean, genuinely, I really really like the, the presenters because we've got a common passion. It's like me and you. It's like. I like wildlife. I like to talk yeah. about wildlife. So what's 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 the issue? So um, I do a lot of tour leading. Yeah, I um I tour lead for Wildlife Worldwide, or, the, or as they call the Travelling Naturalist, is the brand underneath. And I tour in the Somerset levels, uh, close to home. And I also tour in the Highlands of Scotland, where I think where you're going for the New Year, at the famous Grand Thames Hotel. Yeah, cracking hotel. Which is the kind of uniquely styled wildlife hotel. So I've just spent three weeks there doing a celebrity guided trip and then two weeks with wildlife worldwide um, um so basically i do anything that's sea level or anything that's really high i do nothing in between <laughs> but yeah i love it i love tour leading it's like yeah. showing people it's like television it's like television and television yeah. i'm getting passionate on a camera uh and on wildlife tour leading i'm getting passionate in front of seven or eight or a dozen people and so i've just spent three weeks finding golden eagles uh, white-tailed eagles, red squirrel, otter, pine martin, crested tit, not finding capercaillie. But um, yeah, I love it. I've, I'm, I'm being paid to look at wildlife. Get in there. What do you do? Uh, you might not want to give away your secrets, but what do you do if the wildlife aren't playing ball? Is it go to a whiskey distillery or like, do you, is there a backup <laughs> plan? Like? There is a lot of whiskey up there. Unfortunately, yeah. I can't stand it. Oh, really? Oh, right. No, no, oh, I'm I love it. Oh, okay. Uh, and, 
Yeah, because Scott. Let's. I mean, I don't want to slag off uh, Scottish beer too much, but they're not. They're not known for their ale, are they? Kangol Brewery, Jack. Yeah, oh, I've tried. I've tried it. I've tried it. Oh, tra- trade winds. What's wrong with you? That's okay. Pie trade winds in I the mean, bar. It's better than tap water, time. but I like whiskey. Yeah, I love Scotch, and I love my uh, uh, Talisker and more smoky peaty whiskies. But like a bullet. That's too much. That's like there's a, there's a that's where like you're drinking diesel more or less at that. But um, yeah, just a bit, a little bit of smoke, a little bit of smoke. But um, no, I mean like I'm spoiled in Nottinghamshire. We well, I actually we weird enough talking about beer. I did a beer podcast with your mate Graham, and we did a oh, whole ex mate from university. Yeah, he came over to my house, brought a load of beer. It was great, and we just did a podcast about how he started and had a few bottles of his lovely um, uh, off the notebook. Is it off the notebook or from the notebook? From the notebook, beers. Cool. they've all got lovely names, but yeah, wildlife names for beers, haven't they? Mm. I mean, isn't it? I love it when it's a small world, when it's a sudden you someone you interview, someone I went to university with. I mean, it's yeah, just, it's you always know there's always a connection, isn't there? There's always a, a, a I mean, dot. when I was filming at the weekend, the, the the one guy knew the guy who delivers my logs really well, and then there's a chap there who goes, Oh, oh yeah, my family's in Chew Valley, and they ended up that my boy is friends with his grandson at school and they're really good mates at school i mean i love that it's just yeah. like connections seven it's degrees nice. of separation is beautiful what it's, were we talking about i can't remember it was <laughs> we were talking about we were talking about leading tours and we've gone on to whiskey and connecting with people but i, I love tour leading and yeah. yeah there is a certain pressure as you said there's a certain pressure to find stuff but i mean there is pressure but i, I feel pressure when i'm wildlife filming and if you're there at the right time right place then there's a, and use your field skills, there's a good chance you'll get most of the stuff. I mean, every single tour I managed to get Golden Eagle. Sometimes oh, wow. I miss Whitetail Eagle. I always get Red Squirrel. I always get Crested Tit. Capricale is flipping impossible because they're just disappearing. <laughs> but I get Black Grouse. So I know the areas really, really well. The one curveball is if the weather's really, really bad, then it makes it really difficult. Yeah. So, but then you can go to the coast where the weather's a bit more robust. And I found as well, actually, by being a better botanist, Jack, because most people are going for the birds and mammals. Let's not be about the bush. But actually, when there's bugger all to see, I go, oh, look at that, chickweed wintergreen. And yeah. that is bilberry, but the locals call it blaberry. So there's always a supporting artist. You can always kind of bring another stuff in. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Do you know, you meet really, really interesting people. Everyone, everyone is a tall leader, talks about the difficult people they met or they've been with. I, I, I've never had a problem. I mean, oh, you're lucky. You're lucky. Of industry. I meet doctors, lawyers, surgeons. They're really, really interesting people. Yeah. So um, generally, we have a real laugh, and I get a lot of repeat business. They like hanging around with me, and we they come up for more. Yeah, and that's what you want, ideally. And you mentioned plants there, so this is the perfect segue to plants. So you've recently done a book, One Thousand Shades of Green. Um, what was the idea behind finding a thousand different plants? In a year, and I think it was just your was it just your local patch as well, or was it the whole country? It was the whole country. The whole country. I haven't okay, written I, gonna... it yet. <laughs> I, I haven't gonna... written it yet. Oh, you haven't um, written it yet. Oh, right. Okay. I'm right. using this winter okay. when I'm not doing things like podcasts. You're stopping me writing the book at the moment, Mr. Perks. <laughs> um, no, no, I'm, I'm about to write it. I've done okay. all the hard yards. Okay. Okay. I've seen a thousand plus. Okay. Um, Hold on to your seats then. It's coming. It's coming. (laughs) (laughs) It's not coming out until May 2023. Okay. But anyway. We'll warm people up anyway. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. It's a slow burn. Mm. Um, Now, the idea came out of lockdown because, you know, that first drastic lockdown was hardcore, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I I live in the Chew Valley, so I'm I'm, I'm slap bang between Bristol, Bath and Wells, the beautiful pastoral 
uh, Chew Valley, it's about nine miles south of Bristol. And, um, you know, at, at, during the height of it, there was no cars on the road. It was just astonishing. You could hear birdsong. The one blessing was, I, I'm sure you recall, the weather was flipping brilliant. Yeah, for that, that, that April lockdown. was lovely. Uh, April, April yeah. and May were absolutely mm. belting. Um, and I've always been a pretty decent botanist, but not, you know, I can, I can, I can identify lots of plants, but I would go, oh, there's a speedwell and there's a violet, knowing that I was too lazy to get down on my hands and knees and work out exactly which species of speedwell and exactly which species of violet. So I started on my dog walks with my, with my boy, I started taking my plant book with me. I bought this fantastic thing. It's like a holster. It's absolutely amazing. So basically it's like a strap round and it's like a holster where you can fit a book in. Ah, so, okay. um, cause you need the plant book all the time. I don't need a bird book with birds cause I know all the bird songs and all that stuff. So basically I just took this holster. It's like a six shooters holster that I pull out the book. <laughs> cool guy um and i carried that around with my eye lens and i'd stop and get down and identify it's sweet violet viola odorata or it's viola rackenbachiana because it's got a creamy notch spur and you know what it was the first time i just loved it and my boy was into it i was testing him and he'd identified a lot of the plants as well and we raised some money we did we did our joint lockdown because a lot of charities lost a lot of money so for plant life we raised money and we We'd cycled around the Chew Valley and my boy had to identify as many plants as possible in the morning. And I identified something, he's eight. He identified something like 45 different species of plants. It was amazing. Wow. I mean, kids are like sponges at that age. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So we raised 45 pounds. I said we'd give him a pound for every, and his mother's oh, right. grand. <laughs> that's the initial, that's the incentive. He could identify. No, not give him, but give the charity. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> so we raised about 100 quid. It was brilliant yeah. uh, for, for plant life. And um, I just, he, he loves it. I mean, kids are all close to the ground. They've got a great visual acuity. He always finds the really interesting flowers. Uh, and that started me off. And I have all my best ideas, Jack, in the shower. I, have a ni- I like to have a nice, I, I don't want to save with, but I have a nice long hot shower in the morning. And that's when I do my, getting mentally ready for the day ahead. Okay. And um, I had, I've never read the book, 50 Shades of Grey, um, no. but I had this idea, what about slightly ripping off the title and adding 950, changing the color and making it 1000 shades of green? Why don't I try and see a thousand different species in a year? So starting on January the 1st this year and theoretically finishing December the 31st this year, I thought I'm going to make this a big botanical year and I tried to see as many plants as possible. Um, and I have broken a thousand. Um, obviously things are slowing down massively because nothing's flowering. I mean, I've included things like grasses, sedges, rushes, ferns and trees as well, because there's about two and a half thousand. But I mean, it's full on. I just, yeah. I thought, I thought the whole year, I'm not going to, I'm going to go anywhere near it. I'm not going to go anywhere near it. And the problem I had is that the flowering season is quite short, really. Most of it's flowering April to July. Um, and I had to kind of hit the really, really amazing points at the right time. So I had to go to the Lizard Peninsula. I had to go to Breckland. I had to go to Teesdale. I had to go to the Highlands of Scotland. There were various places where iconic floral locations I had to see at the best time. Um, and the main problem was just these things are really hard to find. Yeah. And really yeah, hard yeah. to identify. Yeah. Um, so I would just basically my knees just a knacker because I spent my whole I spent the whole summer just kneeling down trying to trying to see if the hairs would bifurcate on this on this uh, weird um, 
weird taraxicum. Um, but I loved it. It was absolutely yeah, I amazing. Bet. I've become a brilliant botanist. I, uh, I, well, <laughs> I, I pitched a, a book idea and I tried to get the title 50 Shades of Grayling. But the publisher, oh, nice. but the publisher hated it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go for it. So, so I can, so I see where you came from, and I like that you've sort of done a, a spin on that. So I'm glad that you've you've made it work. But they, they were like, no, we're not well, having the, that. The, the, the title is um, the subtitle is one thousand years ago from groundsel, which I found flowering groundsel. You know groundsel. You know what? I'm getting like better. Ragwort. Okay, okay. It's a weed like ragwort. I found that flowering on January the first. It did a New Year's Day plant hunt. I found like 25 species flowering on New Year's Day. How cool is that? Wow. So like daisy, ragwort, yarrow, and all these plants. So the first plant I saw was groundsel. And the last one I saw was Goldilocks aster, which is a really rare plant that is halfway up a cliff on the side of the Mendips. Um, and it was amazing. I mean, I got thrown off several sites for trespassing. <laughs> I almost killed myself on a rock face. Um, oh, and I genuinely had spiritual moments of, unbelievable serenity i mean so, i was up i was up on top of teasdale i mean up in the northeast of england and i went up there and i met the wards and he showed me a few things but i didn't want people to just go and say there it is there's no book in that i wanted to use my skill and find a lot of the stuff so he set me off on the general path and um and i went looking for this this plant called shrubby sankfoil right on the top of the top of the fells uh, uh no actually it was another plant called um uh, Dryas octopetalus the com is the Latin name, I can't remember the common name. Dry I went looking for Dryas octopetala right at the top of uh, Teesdale. And you know, I was up there and it was just this amazing limestone scenery. We were quite, I was quite uh, on my own. There's no other person there. And I could hear Golden Plover going. <whistles> and then I looked across and there was a ringed ring oozel sat on a rock just singing away. And it was, it's like the mountain blackbird with its huge yeah, white. Yeah, yeah. And there's a ring oozle there. And there was a, there was a, um, uh, a golden plover singing there. And I just found the plant there. And I just, it was, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. Is it harder to write about plants than, than say, birds or mammals? Because arguably uh, a book, I don't know, I, don't, I probably won't get a thousand birds, but it whatever. do a lot. Yeah. So like, so yeah, would, would you... Um, yeah, is it harder to write about plants then, or wax on lyrically about plants than you know? Like you just described then the golden plover and the ring oozel, uh, but how yeah. how how do you make a a little plant in the ground sexy? How do you kind of make well, it? I think, I think with, with with a lot of and a bit a TV program or be it, be it, um, any any book you write. I mean, a lot of it is about the journey. Yeah. Um, one of the very early plants that I wrote about was a plant called Gagea bohemica, which is early star of Bethlehem. And it's only found on one place in Britain, on Stanner Rocks in Radnorshire. Uh, and it was very early in the year. And um, I couldn't strictly go for it because of lockdown. But I was filming um, the gadget show, um, doing some stuff on wildlife gadgets a little bit further north. So I might have just possibly done a detour. Okay. To take in on the way home. On the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had a letter <laughs> saying that I'm allowed to be out because. Uh, Channel 5 were, were filming this thing. So anyway, um, uh, and the bottom line is I eventually found it. I almost killed myself on the rock face, but it was just beautiful. It's just little tiny little yellow flower. Just I found one flower within perfect petals on this halfway up this rock face. 
uh, in this really unusual place that I've never been to before. And it was just, I got on my hands and knees. It was, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I mean, in fact, I'm an atheist, but I kind of had a quasi-religious moment with this plant and got down with my eye lens. And, and it was beautiful. It was like, it was so cold. It was March and this plant just like thrust out. And it was like, how can you, you're amazing. How can you just survive these conditions? I, I was blown away by it. And what the plants do, which is really interesting, they tell you, the reason why I'm a, I think I'm a decent naturalist because I know lots about plants and being a better botanist makes you a better naturalist. You're a better bird by knowing your plants. Um, and just knowing that one plant, it gives you a portal into, into knowing about the history of Stana rocks. And it's just that basically it's a little key that takes you into this wonderful world about why is this place, this weird place, right next to a road, the only place it survives in Britain, but it's down to kind of glaciology and it's down to the kind of peculiarities, the chemical makeup of the rock. I mean, and, and it just tells a brilliant story itself. So it's not going here. I am singing and dance routine, but it just it's much more subtle than that. And it's so, much more beautiful. So would that have been the rarest plant on the list or I mean, I suppose, how do you yeah, quantify pretty it? Much. Pretty much, I saw yeah. a few absolute Bobby Dazzlers. I mean, I've seen, for example, I, I, I saw um, Teasdale Sandwort, which is kind of the dullest plant on the planet, but <laughs> one of the rarest. I've seen endemic plants to Britain. I mean, we talk about Britain not having many and much endemic stuff. We've potentially got a dodgy bird in Scottish crossbill, um, but we've got endemic plants. I saw Scottish primrose, so which is uh, Primula scotica, which is confined to Scotland. And um, yeah, I've had some amazing stuff. I mean, sometimes you know, I've got a lot of help uh, from people who've been really amazing. So the botanical recorders, like in the Mendips where I live, there's fantastic plants. Uh, so uh, yeah, I've, lots of people have felt me on the way. And it's not just about the plant, it's about the location because these plants are in amazing locations, Jack. And I've also used it as a bit of a retrospective. I've gone botanizing with, not with top line experts who know exactly where the plant is, but I've gone with my old friends, friends from Nottingham University, friends from Bangor University, uh, all pe people I've met along the way. And it's just been a bit of a trip down memory lane. It's been fantastic. My old mate, Tim Sykes, who works in the Environment Agency, who knows loads about fish. Um, he's a brilliant, brilliant fish person. It is loads I, and loads of- I know the name. I think I have body. spoke to Tim in the past, but yeah, I know the name. He's done loads of water voles and Southern damselflies yeah. and works on water quality in the whole of the new forest in the South of England. Um, and we went botanizing together and we're all mates from North Wales. And do you know what? It was just the best fun you can have keeping your clothes on. It was amazing. <laughs> we're just the two of us. We're like pigs in clover. Yeah. And we found wild gladiole. We were like doing it, old Chris Packham, just like thigh rub. It was brilliant. We just, oh, I loved it. I'm, not, I'm just like, birds are dead to me. <laughs> dead to me. But they are kind of passion-wise dead to me. Do you um, do you know uh, Naturescape? You ever heard of that? The wildflower farming knots? I have heard of Naturescape. Yeah, yeah, it's it's ten minutes up the road from me, but they they sell a lot of stuff online. But in um in the spring and the summer, you can go and they'll have a big old field full of you know um, poppies or uh, different. I'm trying to remember all the different wildflowers now. But anyway, a lot in, of the annuals. Yeah, most of the annuals. I think they do have some some uh, perennials as well. But it inspired me to turn my front lawn into a wildflower meadow so i took all the grass up put some right. clay down it looks a bit it looks a bit sad at this time of year if i'm honest but during really? may during may it was beautiful and it was great just seeing all these different flowers 
uh, Devil's Bit Scabious, Oxide Daisy, nice. Napweed. I'm exhausting my wildflower knowledge now. Um, Do you have uh, yellow rattle, which is the most important plant? Well, because I completely removed all the grass and I put the clay in, there was no grass for the yellow rattle to attach to. So right. it didn't, so it didn't, but when the grass comes through, I'm going to get some yellow rattle. It's probably a hemiparasite. It's, it, it can photosynthesize anyway. Oh, can um, it? Ah. Yeah, but what it does, it's, as you well know, it's a hemiparasite. It suppresses That's the it. aggressive grasses and keeps them down. That's but yeah, right. It's just a, it's a beautiful wildflower. It's really easy to plant. You get the seeds and just in November when there's, bear, like now when it's really crappy and there's no, uh, they just need seed stamping into bare mud. I've got loads in my back garden. Ah, well, I've tried some around because I've got a pond in my back garden. And what I've done this year is mowed the lawn around that really short. And then I've just plugged some wildflowers into that. But I've also put yellow rattle, fingers crossed, that'll kind of attach itself to that and be a bit more. Because I just left, someone said, oh, let the grass grow long and there'll be loads of wildflowers in it. So I just let the lawn grow long and it was just long grass. It was just what right, yeah. you know, not not if there's any grass lovers out there, I don't want to offend them. But it was just long grass and there wasn't a lot. The frogs liked it. There were frogs in there, but that was about it. And I thought, but also it's good for the butterflies, all the brown butterflies like meadow brown, winglet, and um, they'll all fit. They, they'll all the larvae feed on grasses. Oh, but yeah, you want wildflowers in there, absolutely. Yeah. And making a meadow is really, really difficult. Yeah, it is. Because I think people Even think a pond that, is easy. Yeah, it's not, is it? You think, oh, just put the seeds down and off you go. It's a lot of maintenance, isn't it, really? You've got to mow it and you've got, you've got to, to drive that fertility down. Mm. It's the opposite of a flower bed where you're sticking the manure on. Yeah, making wildflower meadow is really difficult. Yeah, but it's rewarding, I guess, in the end, isn't it? Yeah, when you see the yeah. kind of butterflies skipping over and grasshoppers doing their business, and yes, yeah, I, I love meadows. Are probably my favourite habitat. You got a little meadow in your? I think I actually have got one of your books, Mike. What's it? My my garden and other animals. So I should know because yes. I've got your book. But have you got a wildflower patch in your garden? You've got. I have. It's looking yeah. a bit sad at the moment, like yours. Yeah. I need you need to get out in it because I've been away and Christina, my wife, has been busy. Mm. She's a gardener, so she's doing other people's gardens. Hasn't got time to do our own. <laughs> but we're going to get in it in the next few days and just tidy it up for Christmas. But yeah, we've got a decent wildflower meadow. Okay. Um, it could be better at the moment. I need to kind of just really, really shore all the grass off at the moment and, yeah. and set it for the next... It looks really good in spring. Got a lot of primroses. We've got a really good area, loads of fertilities as well. So it is, it, it's lovely, but it, it could be better. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? So obviously the book's not out yet. Uh, when it is, presumably the best place to go is... is have a look on your social media or website or whatnot when it's being... Yeah, yeah, I'll be yeah. hammering social media. <laughs> you heard um, it here first. In two years' time, it'll be out. Yeah, it'll be, yeah what, a year and a half. A year and a half. I've got to write it, but I've, I've yeah. got all my notes and I've got all my photographs and all that kind of stuff. And there's photographs, going to be my fairly awful photographs in it. And my wife, Christina, does a lot of illustrations. So she's going to do some illustrate the chapter headings. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to getting stuck into the writing project. It's going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. Brilliant. No worries. Well, look, I think that brings us to more or less the end of it. But thanks for coming on, Mike. And yeah, look forward to picking a copy of the book up. Well, yeah, my absolute pleasure, Jack. Good luck with the podcast and um, have a fantastic time at the Grand Sums Hotel. I presume you're giving lectures up there, are you? Yeah. So, um, yeah, a couple of talks and walks. And I've never actually been to the places I'm walking. So they were like, just kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't know the place. So we'll, we'll find some wildlife. We'll fumble our way through it. It'll be good You'll fun. Be yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. Nice one, mate. You, mate. I'll see you on the other side. Take care. Bye. That was Mike Dilger. Great to talk to him, catch up. Like I said, this podcast has been amazing to actually sit down and talk to people who ordinarily I don't really get to have a proper chat with. So it was fantastic to talk to Mike and find out a little bit about his career and the plants that he's working on with his upcoming book.
There's links to all the social media in the description, so if you want to keep up to date with when episodes are potentially coming out and any surprise releases, that's your best bet. And as I've said in previous podcasts, if you want to find out what I'm doing, follow my personal social media on Jack Perks Photo on Twitter, Fish Twitcher on Instagram, and Jack Perks Wildlife Media on Facebook and YouTube. I just want to take the chance to say a huge thank you to everyone that's followed me along the journey. I'd also 